and welcome back to We Are the Weirdos, Mister, the podcast for all things cult, camp, queer, and creepy. I am your host, Hillary Michelle Post, and I am joined by the wonderful and patient Julie. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm wonderful now. I say that because we just tried to record a minute ago and it got messed up and Julie's been such a trooper and now it's all fixed and I love her very much. <laughs> Get a little buff out. Yeah. Um, so happy 2024 to everyone. Um, thank you for bearing with me while I took a break in December. Uh, during my break, I spent a week in Ohio and I got to hang out with Julie and Heather in person, which I don't get to do very often. Um, but while we were all together, we watched the film Saltburn. And even on paper, Saltburn kind of ticks a lot of boxes for what this podcast is about. Uh, but in addition to that, it's a movie that kind of wouldn't leave our consciousnesses. Um, I couldn't really decide if I liked it or not, but regardless of whether I liked it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I figured it would make a good subject for the podcast to talk about my thoughts. Um, we watched it, what, about a month ago now? Um, yeah. Ago. And then we both rewatched it over the past 24 hours. You made yes. Seth watch it with you. What was I that? did make Seth watch it with me. Because um, I just looked at him. Like, I knew we were going to watch something. And instead of watching more of the boys, I was like, I really just wanted to see what he would think about Saltburn. Right. Um, I just was like, I really... Like, we went, we were on a walk, and I was like, can we watch Saltburn? I want you to watch Saltburn. <laughs> I made my mom just watch it with me. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Which, generally speaking, folks, don't watch this with your parents, but my mom's cool. Cool. Um. <laughs> oh, did, did she like it? I don't know. Mom, did you like it? Parts. She liked parts. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's more than I could ask for, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we watched it, the three of us, plus uh, Heather's husband, Bruce, who was also a, a good sport about it, I felt. Um, he liked it. I, yeah, he did. He dug it. Um, what did Seth think? Did he say one way or the other whether he liked it? No, he did like it. He was, oh. because well, because I, I like it because... It's kind of a vibey movie, but mm-hmm. I kind of really like, I don't know, I really liked it. Like, I like the twists and turns. And he was like, I was so waiting for the twist at the end. He was like, I knew it was coming. I knew it was there. He was like, I was just so ready to see it. Right. So, um, um, a, a parts of it made him kind of yell. But <laughs> um, generally, like, watching it, you know what it was for me? Watching this movie with him was like when I made him watch Hereditary. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> I just wanted to see his facial expressions. <laughs> I just um, wanted to squirm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I really wanted to see, like, because when we watched Hereditary, like, I had seen it and he hadn't. So, you know, what it, all that entailed. Right. And I just remember his expressions being so great. And I was like, I really want to see what he'll think about Saltburn. And I wasn't disappointed. It was exactly what I wanted. Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I feel like this film very quickly went viral, at least yeah. in internet circles, 
uh, first and foremost, for probably for having a cast that many consider to be very attractive. So that got a lot of people's attention. Um, but then also word of mouth gained traction because of some of the more quote unquote shocking moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so truth be told, this film was like immediately spoiled for me because so many of the m- more memorable set pieces were all over TikTok and Instagram before I even got a chance to see it. So when I, by the time I sat down, I'd already read a synopsis. I knew what I was in store for. Um, also because I, people were having such a visceral reaction to it. I was just like, is this going to be triggering at all? So I tend to spoil myself to make sure to avoid triggers. And it's, I think those people need to grow up. Yes, I agree. That was also my, like seeing people's reactions to it and then finding out what the things were. I'm just like, you guys need to watch more movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I just assumed like um, Seth's niece is kind of, she's a hip girl. And I really thought that she would have seen it. Like, I just thought she would have seen it. And so I texted her and I said, I am going to make Seth watch Saltburn. And she was like, no. And I was like, he screamed at the scene. And she was like, I haven't seen it. And I'm like, what? And I was like, oh, you should watch it. I was like, I think you'll like it. She was like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've heard things. And I'm just like, grow up. Yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> I mean. No. It's, it's not. Like, if you go into it knowing that it's going it's not like Saturday morning cartoons. You know what I mean? But like. Yeah. Based on this podcast alone, if you have like ever seen like a John Waters film or an Ari Aster film or a Cronenberg film or you know what I mean, it's just like it's not that bad. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, it's like I would. It's Dean. It's it's not that bad. Like yeah, I it's don't not know. Bad. Um, I I don't know. I, I I still haven't decided if I genuinely like it or not, but like you said, it's a vibe. I like the vibe. I like the aesthetic. I like the cast. Um, yeah. Um, I like I. It held up too. Like I, the second time, I caught more than I did the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I really liked it. Yeah. Um, this Saltburn was written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who is an actress and filmmaker, um, who came out on the scene as a filmmaker in 2020 with promising young woman. Did you see that? No, I don't like it. Um, a lot of people really liked that movie. I did not. Hmm. Uh, it's, which is not entirely Emerald's fault necessarily, but it was kind of like marketed spoilers for a promising young woman. It was kind of marketed like a rape revenge film. And that is not what it is. Oh, uh, so you go into it expecting just like, oh, hell yeah, we're going to see rapists get their comeuppance. And that doesn't really happen. Not really. Um, I mean, in like the last five minutes of the movie, I guess you could say it kind of does. But even that is really obtuse. And our, we get a rape victim who we never meet because she kills herself before the movie starts. And then we get a heroine who gets murdered for trying to do the right thing. And along the way, her process of, like, doing the right thing and getting vengeance also involves victimizing a bunch of other women. So, like, it just makes no, it's not, it's not what Emerald thinks it is. (laughs) She thinks that she's doing something really, like, avant-garde, when in reality she just perpetuates story tropes of victimized women. 
when that's no fun. <laughs> that's not what I yeah. want in my movies. Um, and I feel like Saltburn is a is a big step forward because, like this movie, Promising Young Women has a great aesthetic and a great cast, but not a great um, like out outcome. Mm-hmm. This doesn't have a great outcome either, but all of the characters are so multi-leveled and problematic in their own ways that um i don't know it kind of when stuff happens to them you're like well it's up to her debate as opposed to victims does that make sense yeah i think that's also just as a to that like that was Seth's big thing he's like i don't know how he got away with it like i don't know how this happened because like it does that seems uh, like the outcome of the entire film seems un- seemed unrealistic to him and I had to be like okay well they like you know we had to talk about it like talk through it on such a level and I think that's what I really like about this movie is that I keep thinking about it and I keep thinking through it and that's what I really like right yeah um and I, I'm going to tackle this a little different than we usually do on this show because I kind of want to change the structure of how we go through movies moving forward because what we have been doing has been so labor intensive in terms of mm-hmm. the plot so stringently and that's exhausting yeah. and Hillary ain't got time for that. So, <laughs> so from, from this episode forward, we're just going to, it's going to be a vibe. We're going to talk about main plot, plot points, main things we want to talk about. Um, Especially since, A, it's less labor-intensive, and B, it's more fun for people who haven't seen the film to, to get our vibe without having necessarily the entire movie laid out for them, right? Yeah. Uh, that being said, later on in this discussion, I do want to talk about the outcome and the unrealistic aspects of it <laughs> and how it's this border- yeah. borderline a fantasy film, right? Yeah, and that's fine with me. Like, I guess not every movie has to be realistic. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> and I, but but when you set a movie this way, mm. it, it it you almost expect it to be that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, it ends okay. up, it ends up like what word am I thinking of? It it's like it derails your expectations. Yeah. So the fact that it is so fantastical by the end and so unrealistic is just like a pleasant surprise almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like Promising Young Woman was the opposite. You thought you were going into something like weird and revengey and unrealistic. And then by the end, it's so brutally realistic that it's like, well, that's no fun. <laughs> Whereas this is yeah. the opposite go in you think you know what you're getting into you think you're getting into like a talented Mr. Ripley a bride's head revisited and then by the end it's like oh shit that's not what (laughs) it was so much more than that you know um so Emerald Fennell said that she was inspired to write Saltburn by a desire to sympathize with unlikable people and to attempt to understand why we find them so alluring oh yeah she definitely hit the nail on the head that's what she did Absolutely. She like, definitely did that. Yeah, like if that's our thesis statement, then she was absolutely successful. <laughs> absolutely successful. And first and foremost, from the casting, because the casting was so good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
sorry. And the man, the manager from Spice World, inspired. <laughs> Richard E. Grant is so is such like a lauded, loved British actor, and the fact that that's where our mind goes first when we think of Richard E. Grant is so indicative of us as people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I need to stop calling him the manager from Spice World, but what's the point? We should do Spice World for this podcast. Dude, I want to, but it's not streaming anywhere, so we need to buy it on DVD and rewatch it. Okay. That's, that's the goal. It's not streaming. It's not even rentable. Like, it is not on any digital platform whatsoever. You have to buy a DVD from, from Amazon. <laughs> Luckily for us, we have plans to hang out in the summer, so if we have to watch Spice World while we do that, okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll ask for it for like for a birthday or for Easter or something, and then I'll have it by then. And then when we're together this summer, we can watch it. <laughs> My mom was just asking me today because I had told her how we were like, hey, it's the manager from Spice World. And she went shopping and thrifting all day yesterday and she came across so many DVDs. And so now she has like a mental list of movies that I can't get digitally that I want on DVD. So there's that. And there's also the Share Film Mask. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. that one? Adults and no. share. It's uh-uh. it's a really good movie, but it's not available streaming either, which makes no sense. Um, so now mom is on the hunt. She's like, no, nah, I know what to look for. <laughs> um, but so the cast, right? So yeah. two of the main cast members, I feel like, not not that they're typecast necessarily, but they've created an expectation of characterization because we have Roseman Pike who is, I feel most famous for gone girl mm-hmm. and done is such a divisive character. Right. So you kind of like love to hate her, hate to love her. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was perfect for Elspeth. And then you have Jacob Elordi who is most famous is, for being tall. For being tall. No, I was going to say most famous for Euphoria, where his character is despicable. But as a person, he's so popular because he's handsome and tall and whatever. He's very he's very charming. He's like, very- we, we have the discussion whether or not he's handsome or he's just tall. And he can be handsome, but generally not my cup of tea. How about that? Yeah, like, but the more I watch him and... I'm so endeared to him now as a person that yeah. I think it's cuter and cuter and cuter every day. Yeah. Uh, I, sometimes it just is the, it's the lighting and the angle, too. And I feel the same way about Barry Keegan or whatever his name is. Yeah. Same way. Sometimes yeah. he's cute. Sometimes he looks like he's 47. I don't know. <laughs> he has very attractive individual features. I just don't know if they add up into a typical... You know what I mean? Like, he has very beautiful eyes. He has a very nice body. Mm-hmm. I, his Irish accent is very attractive. His actual accent. Um, he has great style. But he's very unconventional, I'd say. Um, ugly hot. Ugly hot. Um, there's a, People are going to listen to this and be so offended because there are some people who are really into him. And I get it. But, like, let's be real. <laughs> Please don't be offended. He's ugly hot. Just, just accept it. <laughs> Um, have you seen him in anything else? Who? Barry Keegan. Uh, I want to say yes, but I don't know. 
I've seen him in a bunch of other little things here and there, but the main thing I know him from is a film called The Killing of a Sacred Deer, where he plays a very similar character um, in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't want to spoil that film because it's very strange and very good, and I want people to watch it. Uh, who did that? It's the same filmmaker, filmmaker that did um, Dogtooth and Poor Things and The Lobster and... Yorgos, Yorgos. Yorgos, yes. Yeah, I, I well, okay. The, yeah, no, it is. I, it is because I was listening to um, uh, I was listening to a podcast earlier, and they were talking about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, because he like they were talking about how poor things was so good, and now I'm like so sad that we didn't watch the crappy cam version. Should've I know. Just done it. Should have just done it. Don't. Should have just done it. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, I've heard like I keep hearing that that movie was really good. Me too. I'm so close to hauling my cookies to the theater for it, to be honest. It's it's playing nowhere near me. I know. I'd have to go, like, downtown, downtown to see it. It's not playing. Yeah. I kind of want to do the same thing for Miller's Girl. That movie yeah. I made. Because that is kind of having a salt burn type renaissance on my socials because everyone, uh, all the queer girls are queer for Jenny, Jenna Ortega. And she's really hot in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This movie's really good. I was like, I don't want to have to haul my cookies for two movies. Like, man, just stream for me. Can we go back to, like, not literally go back to COVID times, but the access of which we could get movies back then was, well. <laughs> yeah. It was like, we're going to air it in theaters for a week and then put it on streaming. I'm like, yes, let's do that more. Let's do that more, please. That made me go and be around people. And pay 20 <laughs> Uh, um, well, you're gonna pay twenty bucks either way. Well, yeah, not necessarily. I don't know. Depending on the film. Yeah, true. But yeah, I yeah, I've heard about that. I feel like I've seen him in. Was he in? He was in the that shitty Marvel movie, wasn't he? See the Eternals. He was in the Eternals. I haven't seen okay. that. I have, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I don't think I paid for it. Um, if I, oh if yeah, I watched it, or it was on Disney Plus or something. I don't know, but I have seen him in that. He looks like somebody else. We discussed this, and we got into a fight with him because you said he looked like Ezra Miller, and I disagree. And the only reason I disagree, I when I think of Ezra, I think of like sharp angles, and when I think of Barry, I think of round curves, oh. facial structure. Okay, fair. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also does kind of have that face he has like a face where just like oh it's mm. <laughs> like you can almost put your finger on it like oh you remind me of someone but I can't place it either but yeah ugly hot great actor yeah cool guy oh super actor yeah um very endearing that both he and Jacob are not British. Uh, Jacob is Australian and Barry is Irish, and they're both doing A plus Liverpool accents. Um, I love my favorite character is Venetia, hands down. Fair. Um, I've never seen Allison Oliver in anything else, um, and I've never seen Archie um, Medeque. I think you say his name, who plays Farley in anything else either. But I love that they were my two favorite characters. Oh, Corbin Blue walked so that kid could fucking run. 
dude, the designer has admitted that that is exactly what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Like, his hair is Corbin Blue in High School Musical hair, and mm-hmm. her hair later in the film is supposed to be, like, Zac Efron hair, like, in High School Musical, like, two or three. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we have, oh, yeah. like, we have established people who are it's- cast very well, and then we have less established people who are so charismatic that, like, we love them instantly, or at least I did. Yeah. I think that setting it in the, like, the early 2000s also really helped. hmm Loved it. Yeah. Just, like, just the distance past, distant past. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. a touchstone for most of the audience without being, um, without also the advantage of burgeoning social media. Because if you think about it logistically, if you set this movie now, it'd be so easy to like research somebody and know they're sh- they're telling bullshit. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't think about until right now. That's but I but also the I feel like part of the critique is is that they like the Cattons or Felix's family. They are literally so absorbed in their wealth that they do not think of other people as human beings. So they probably would never have even bothered. No. You're right. That's true. Like, they never would have bothered. Because that that is exactly why they don't bother to look at Oliver as a suspect. They don't think that he can yeah. even be capable of that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because that was like that. Because that kept pissing. He's like, he's right there, and I was like, they don't think of him as being capable of that. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're. They don't even think about about it. Yeah. And even Felix is like that too, because like Felix, like Farley says something about Liam and Josh, and he's like, who are Liam and Josh? It's the name of his footmen, the dudes that help him get up every day, mm-hmm. the dudes that like do shit for him, his servants. Doesn't even fucking know their names. And right. Felix is a good person, or he feels like a good person. That's you know what I mean? oh, totally. That's something that stuck out to me on this watch because the first watch. Um, so let's just we'll summarize before we get into details, but like bad things befall all of the cattens, right? So yeah. cottons, cattens, 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 cattens. And but the first time I watched it, I was like, they don't deserve any of this. They deserved all of it. Uh, I still don't think Venetia deserved anything that happened to her. Um, but Felix, the second watch, I that scene didn't really sink it with the footman. After that scene, I was just like, oh yeah, he's he's kind of shitty. <laughs> he kind of sucks. Um, bringing, I think bringing him there in the first place was shitty. Because he knew yeah. what his family would do. Did he? Like he is he, is he, he just did? No, he knew because he when he when Oliver first walks in to the library and they are all sitting there. He and and Elspeth is like going on and on and on like tell tell me about your mother and he's like it's rude. He knew exactly what was going to happen and he did it anyways. He didn't he didn't let him know that people would be putting his things away. Like, he is, it's, okay, it's, 
he knew what would happen, but he didn't even think about it because he just, that's the way things have always been for him. So don't think it's like an intentional, like malice. It's not intentional from Felix. It's just, he just doesn't think about it. He's, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. He just, he just doesn't think about it. It's not like, and he's never had to think about it because all of his friends have always been wealthy. Yeah. In theory. Well, because we get, the, we get the sense that he, we don't get this, not the sense, we know for a fact, because Venetia tells us that he collects these toys, right? So, are they always... Takes and strays. Yes, takes and strays. But are they always, like, down on their luck when he does this? Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Are they all Olivers? Are they closer to him in status, usually? What... I would say they're all like Oliver. Yeah. Because and and the only reason I'll say that and the reason I think that is because of what Farley says to Oliver at the party. He says your summer is over and you're going to tell your fat kids that you about your summer at Saltburn. He's like you don't get to come back, but I do. This is my house. Yeah. Like that to me that is he is what he's saying is like this is what happens yeah <laughs> sorry I just glanced over to my cats my mom just fed them and bear is nowhere to be found peanut is eating out of bear's bowl Dottie is eating out of peanut's bowl and I guess Dottie's bowl is just laying there <laughs> no one's where they're supposed to be <laughs> and what a perfect Aww. what a perfect like analogy of this movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um and um, here's my cat sitting by himself grooming <laughs> oh bless um, so one of the things one of my critiques of this film and this is just me too long and I say that about every movie nowadays but but I feel like the build up we are at Oxford too long yes I agree Um, it it meanders just a little bit yeah and I don't know if that was intentional to disarm us possibly um but like for instance mom was up doing stuff through the whole beginning of this movie she was like cooking and cleaning and just barely paying attention. And anytime something really important happened, I was just like, oh, hey, such and such. To keep her in the loop. But mm-hmm. for the most part, mom didn't. But she still, once she sat down, she was sat down by the time we were at Saltburn. And she missed nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, this proves my it's, theory. It's an easy movie to be on your phone, too. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. That is true. I would also say, like, we can both admit upon we missed stuff. Yeah, well, the stuff I missed was stuff that just happened so fast. Like, at the, like, after Farley gets, like, expelled the first time, like, after they leave, make him leave the first time, there, she was like, oh, it's such a lovely day, I wish we didn't have to go to London. And I missed that the first time. Oh, about Pamela. Yeah, because I thought she showed back up at the party. No, she's dead. She's fucking dead. Yeah. Wild. I, yeah, I missed that the first time. Yeah. 
very strange role, a uh, very strange part. I'm not, I don't know. Carrie Mulligan um, stars in Promising Young Woman. She's so she's this is the second time she's collaborating with Emerald, and um, it's what a weird part for her. It's just Pamela is this weird little weirdo who. I mean, she serves purposes, not to say she doesn't, but it's just such a small, strange role for such a big name. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my favorite parts of the of the movie, in a sadistic way, is when um, Oliver is talking to Elspeth and they're like commiserating over how messy Pamela is. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the early signs. Because there's so many things that like. Well, going back to talking about how Oxford, we were in Oxford too long, and how it could possibly be trying to just arm you. Um, mm-hmm. You don't know. You just get, like, little bits and bites of, we're like, oh, there's something wrong with Oliver. <laughs> and that's one of the bigger bites that you get, other than, like, the gross stuff. But when he's, like, talking shit about Pamela with Elizabeth, and, and he's doing it because he knows that she loves it. And she's like, Yeah. She wants someone that can she can be catty with. Yeah. And, and he's it's like, oh, he's reading her like a book, man. Mm-hmm. Um, another important scene that does that at the, towards the beginning is when we see him spying on Felix when Felix is with a girl and he's like watching him through the window. Mm-hmm. That's the first sign you get. It's just like, oh, he... Mm. Ollie's not quite right. <laughs> That's not normal behavior. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the beginning of the movie too is like trying to establish to you that that Ollie is like like horny for Felix, mm-hmm. and he's not not horny for Felix. He's I don't. That's the part I don't get. I'm I do not understand what the hell that was about. Right. Um. Yeah, even mom was like, when um, Ollie hooks up with Venetia, when he's mm-hmm. like, mom was just like, I thought that he, you know, was horny for Felix. I was like, he will hook up with whoever he wants to, to better service his his plans, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think part of... Well, let's get into the weird stuff. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I've been dancing around it long enough. We got to get into the weird stuff so we can start dissecting it. So the very first shock, quote unquote, shocking moment that we get is um, Felix is in the bathtub in a bathroom that he shares with um, Ollie and he's masturbating. So we see Ollie like spy on him, right? And mm-hmm. Felix has to know. He's a freak. Yeah, he knows. He has to know. Has to know. And then um, after he gets out of the bath and the bath is draining, Ollie gets in the tub. He like falls to his knees like he's about to fall into prayer. And he drinks the bath water out of the drain. He's just like, it's very gross. Um, but so that's your first indication that's the now, upper. you say bath water. Most people are saying it's cum. Well, it's cum in bath water. Okay, this thank you. Is, what's I so just fu- needed, you, you just needed to say it. I'm just saying. 
<laughs> the bathwater in which theoretically that Felix ejaculated to. Yes. Yeah, and the cubbies. The cubbies. <laughs> but when my mom said the same thing that I was thinking, like people drink cum all the time. That's nothing. The bathwater is grosser. <laughs> Frankly, it's filth and dead skin and yeah, that drain. Like that's grosser. He could have like licked a cum rag or something, and I would have been like, okay, whatever. It's the bat. It's the fact that it's in the bathwater that makes it. Mm, yeah, it pushes yeah. it over. The- yeah, well, that is the part that Seth screamed at. He really yelled, um, and he really carried on a little too much, I think. Well, not to generalize, but straight boys do be tripping when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to things of that nature, right? I mean, let's be fair. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. it was still really fun to watch. I bet <laughs> <laughs> you should have filmed it. It would have made a good TikTok. I know I should have, Donnie. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we have that, where it's just like, that obviously has erotic undertones, right? And not just eroticism, but obsessiveness. And then another scene in terms of Ollie and Felix's dynamic. After Felix dies, Ollie fucks his grave. There's no other way to put it. He, He fucks his grave. And that was not in the script. Barry improvised that. Uh, I mean, I'm glad he did, but it was weird. I mean, it was super weird, but not only is it just weird in general. Um, and I, my favorite thing is, if I remember correctly, I think we were all sitting around watching this, and we were just all kind of quiet, and you just hear Bruce go, he's going to get a UTI. <laughs> <laughs> I about shit my pants. I was laughing so hard. Um, but it also, it muddies up intentions. And you know what I mean? Because by the end, when we find out that his death was directly caused by Ollie, Ollie, for all intents and purposes, murdered Felix. What is that then? Was that guilt? Was that just a leftover? I think that I think it was one more way to violate Felix. I like that. It, it was it was one more way to get a gotcha over on him. Mm-hmm. My to mom me, my mom just said from the other room, she's like, it's the, it's just like pissing on someone's grave. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, like fucking the grave is just as bad. But at the yeah. same time, he is crying. As he does it. I okay, so I just I feel like that character is such a sociopath that he doesn't really feel emotions. Do you know what I mean? I think that it's like he wants to, and maybe that's the emotional release. Yeah. But I don't know. I I just don't think that he. Well, but then if you think about the end where he's like, I loved him, I loved him, but I hated him. Yeah. Yeah. So giving calling him a sociopath is almost too much of a. Get, puts him lets him off the hook too much yeah They're no he it's much. not that he's yeah it's not that he didn't love him but i do still think i think it is just like pissing on the grave like i think it's just one more gotcha do yeah. you know what i mean or like it's like one more what we could have had if things had been different or if i wasn't this way if you weren't this way no i don't like that that doesn't fit for me it feels just more like one more gotcha true 
But I also feel like, though we see in flashbacks by the end, the big twist is just like all of this was planned from the beginning. I think that's not entirely accurate. Yeah, it's not like he's a reliable narrator. Right. But I think in his, in the perfect world for Ollie, he would have gotten everything he ended up getting. But he wouldn't have had to kill Felix to do it. Yeah. When he set out on this mission of his, I don't think it was, I want to, I'm going to kill Felix and get all of his money or get all of his everything. I, in his mind, the perfect scenario would have been Felix would have loved me and would have wanted to give this to me and shared it with me. But the fact oh. that he gets busted and he like begs him for forgiveness, because what's, uh, what was the point of being like, please forgive me? You know, can we please still be friends? What's what the was the what was the goal if it wasn't murder? I think he he went into that maze. Okay, he goes into the maze with the poisoned bottle. Before he gives that bottle to Felix, he begs him for forgiveness. He's like, "Can we please be friends? I did all this for you. This is what I gave you. What you wanted. This is what you wanted. This is you know." I think mm-hmm. in a perfect world, Frawley, Felix would be like, "You're right." You're my best friend. I'm, I know I'm your only friend. You're my only friend. Let's word together. It's blah, blah, blah. Whether that romantically or whatever, he would have forgiven him. But the fact yeah. that he doesn't forgive him, he was already prepared for that outcome. And when he didn't get, he, that was his last dish, ditch effort. When he didn't get what he wanted, then he's like, all right, here's the bottle. Here it goes, you know. Well, okay, yes. However, I mean, before he got found out, what the hell was the play? I don't know. You know like, before he got found out. Well, because it had... Because he was, like, messing around with Venetia. And, like, what was that about? Yeah, it's like... It's like he was plotting... He was planting his seeds in everybody so that... It, whichever one latched on the best would have like, let me try to put my hooks in Felix. If that doesn't work, I already have my hooks in Venetia. Doesn't, doesn't work. I'm going to go and put my hooks into Elspeth. That doesn't work. I'm going to have my hooks in, uh, um, Farley. You know what I mean? Like he's making attachments and power dynamics with these different people grasping at straws and hoping that it will turn out because at the end of the day, as premeditated as everything was, most of the stuff, he it wasn't it was just a crap yeah. he directly murders felix he in he does not directly kill venetia venetia kills herself yeah he gave her the blades but that's not she was either going to do it or she wasn't he didn't make her yeah um sir james just happened to croak that was just a waiting game he didn't do anything to that that's what i, that's, I appreciate that i appreciate that waiting game he waited that long yeah and whatever happened, we don't know what happened with Elizabeth. Did he make her sick? Did he do something to oh, I'm sure. that? Probably. But even well, you know what I mean. That's yeah. Well, he when he's like, it's a shame you got so sick. I'm like, yeah, he did that. Yeah. But like we were saying earlier, this is all such a fantasy film because, in reality, there would have been a toxicology report and autopsy on Felix that would have proven that it wasn't like snorting drugs it was something in his stuff. okay but that's the thing though that's the thing because 
the thing is about that, Hillary, they were so ready to be done with it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, there wouldn't have been. Because they were like, oh, he's dead. Well, that's it. Just put him in the ground. Like, the, uh, no. I don't even, you don't even think would. the powers that be would have done something? No, because they're rich. So and they would just be like, no thanks. Boy, no. Yeah, they were like, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that for him. We can't do that. He just needs to be laid rest. It has to be done. Like, that's how they were. As a, like, You know what I mean? Like, as soon as that, they have to be done. Because as soon as Venetia died, they were like, that's how when Sir James was like, you need to leave. Like, I think it would be best for you to leave. And then he paid him off to leave. Right. Like, I think that it was just a, we have to be done with this. Yeah, you're probably right. Like, that, that's how I took it. Can I tell you my favorite part, though? Because now that we're speaking of all the deaths. Yes. My favorite part is the tradition that the Catton family has where they throw a rock with someone's name on it into a river, mm-hmm. like, as a, as a goodbye, as, like, a, a, as a ritual. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie because the movie tells you all the way at the fucking beginning that Oliver's a fucking liar. But you don't know that until later. Right, because, because when he's when he, dad, yeah, when Huh? His dad's stone, you mean? Yes, he throws his dad's stone, but it doesn't go in the water. Mm-hmm. And so I, like, when you go back and you remember that it didn't land in the water, it landed off to the side, then later when you, here's his nice dad, you're just like, oh. Mm-hmm. And then and then the other, my other favorite part about this, this is why that whole ritual is kind of my favorite. He is so unhinged that before he even killed, or before he even, like, let, gave Venetia those razor blades, he had already retrieved Felix's stone. It was gone. Mm-hmm. When they threw Venetia's in, it was gone. And by the end, he had all four. And that is so incredibly fucked up and unhinged. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's messed up. (laughs) It's so messed up. (laughs) I want to touch on Venetia some more because there's a couple other things. We've talked about, you know, Felix and uh, Ollie's relationship a lot. But mm-hmm. he's my favorite character. And um, <laughs> Emerald has said that this is a vampire film. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. Which totally. Ollie yeah. is like being off of this family and in turn. Yeah. And even you can say with the class system as the way it functions, all these people mm-hmm. are vampires. Uh, but then we have our literal moment in the film. When, you know, Venetia, Elspeth um, describes Venetia as sexually incontinent since she was 14. And I was like, what does that even mean? And my mom, mm-hmm. is, my mom is like, well, incontinence in the usual sense means like you can't hold it in, right? She's like, so that's her sexuality. She can't, yeah. she, you know, is she's a masochist. She gives it away. She wants attention, right? And yeah. she wants sexual um fulfillment or at least attention whether it's actually fulfilling or not is you know 
probably not the case. So she is under his window in a see-through nightdress. And he calls her. He's like, you, you know, you're out here under in the dark, in the cold, in a see-through nightdress under my window. I know what you're doing. And she's like, well, aren't you pre- presumptuous? And he's like, mm, I don't really think I am. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you're broadcasting it pretty clear what you're after. Um, and, and it's so messed up because Venetia's also uh, suffers from bulimia. And he turns her like masochist kink into she he uses that like that power play that we, he knows that she is after mm-hmm. in a way to better her and instead yeah. of, um which i think is so hot <laughs> in the full context of the movie it's fucked up but in that moment it is really hot when he's like tomorrow you're going to eat your breakfast and you're going to stay sitting down and you're not going to throw it up and you're going to take better care of yourself and she's like, okay. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's, that was like the hottest moment in, in my opinion. And then he start, you know, starts messing with her and she's like, it's the wrong time of month. And he's like, you're yeah. acting care. And he, and they like share her menstrual blood. Yeah. And <laughs> which you know, get your red wings, dude. That's fine. The fact that he like mm-hmm. just her to consume it too is what's really twisted to me. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the whole thing's gross. But... Sorry, I'm sure that it ticks a lot of boxes for other people. It does not tick my boxes. Um, Same. Agreed. But, uh, in the context of this film, yeah, loved it. Loved it. Yeah. But, um, if and if that was something that people were like, oh my god, this needs gross. Like, grow up. Like please, please. Like it's not it's not it's not that bad. Like I wouldn't personally do it. It's not that bad. Right, exactly. And that's where because the where the fantasy level comes in because like like I said, if he makes a decision, oh I'm gonna go down on you or whatever it while you're menstruating, that's his choice. But the fact that he forces her to engage in it too is where it's the power play comes in and where it gets, kind of gets gross, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, if you want to eat her menstrual blood, that's on you. But to, like, shove it in her mouth, too, and share it in a kiss, now, now it's gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to each their own. Um, sure. And then, later on, so, uh, Farley sees all this, and he goes and tattles. And Felix gets mad, mm-hmm. calls all all around on it. He's like, "It's it's it's not cool, man. Like you're my friend, you're, you shouldn't hook up with my sister." And I can't decide if that's selfish of him or if that's fair. What do you think? Do you think it's selfish of Felix to be like, "Stay away from my sister," or do you think that's fair because that's a boundary your friend should? It's both, and here's why. Yes, you should make that boundary, but he should have said, hey, my sister's a hoe, please don't sleep with her. Do you know what I mean? Like, he could have said that. He could have warned him if that's how she really is. Now, that being said, I guess what I really truly mean here is that, like, just come out and say it. Don't hem-haw around like a baby, because that's what he was doing. 
That's oh, yeah. the selfish yeah. part. He's hem hawing around like a little baby. No, you just get to the fucking bare bones of it. Just be like, hey, can I talk to you? Please, like, I think it's messed up that you mess around with my sister. Don't appreciate that. Think you should go. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that is all it would have taken. Yeah. But instead, he hem hauled about it and he hid and he whined. And I mean, it's just, that's just who he is. Like, that's like, again, like all over. Like, that's just what that character is like. Yeah. Yeah. The more I think about Felix, the less of the worst person I realize he is. But that's another advantage of watching it more than once, too, I guess. So if you, everyone, if you haven't watched this yet, you might, it might take a couple times before you settle in your opinions on everyone. Um, Because you're right, he was being a total wiener. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So then... We also get power play between Ollie and Farley. And that is the weirdest one to me um, because he really didn't. I mean, I guess the only reason he did it was so they could get close to Farley's phone. Now that I think about it. Yeah. It wasn't so much. Yeah. He probably got off on the power play, but it was just an excuse to get close to Farley's phone to fuck with him. Um, Because there's a scene where he goes, he breaks into his bedroom at night and gives Farley a handjob and is like, are you going to behave? And he's like, no. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to ask you nicely. I'm going to tell you again. Are you going to behave? And I think he eventually does say yes, right? I think so. Yeah, but it's clearly just so he can get off. It's whatever. I think that, but I also think that revenge too, I think that is also revenge for how Farley acted at Oxford. I think yeah. it was both. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like he, I'm sure he savored the entire interaction. Yeah. I would have. <laughs> Farley was a turd. He was, he was pretty mean to him throughout the whole the ordeal. But, you know, I do feel bad for him. He, like that fight that we see between Farley and Felix, he's just like, I am your actual blood and I have to come begging for help. Meanwhile, you will take any stray in and give them throw them a huge party like you know what I mean he's not wrong that is fucked oh yeah so yeah he's a turd towards Oliver but Oliver's a turd too everyone sucks that's the moral (laughs) that should be the tagline of this film salt burn Mm -hmm. everyone sucks (laughs) yeah yeah everyone's hot and everyone sucks um. Yeah, I mean, what else is there to say? What other big? Are there any other big parts of the film that stick out to you? Uh, yeah, the end with the big twist where you find out that Oliver has waited and waited and waited after killing the children for Sir James to croak so he can insinuate himself back into Elspeth's life so he can marry her or I they they got married right. I don't know. Do you do you think they did? I they did something enough to where she signed over possession of Saltburn to him. Yeah, I don't think they got married though. I think she sees him like his son. Okay, well, either way, like he got a possession of Saltburn, and then he made her so sick she was on a respirator, and then tore it out of her throat. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that happened. <laughs> that's Ow. 
that's also where it moves into the fantasy because like if he has private carers how the hell that out of her throat yeah yep. story that you you like well she was choking so i had to get it out what 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 yeah what? and then my other favorite part about that is like where he does that and she like she like dies and he's like sitting in like the transfer swing just like sitting there also you we didn't mention the very end which please oh we will well before i get to okay. the on that okay. scene that when he is laying on elspeth after she's dead and he's like hugging her and he's like trying to throw her dead limp arm around him so that she can mm-hmm. hug him back that's so it's so darkly morbid and hilarious like it's just the most morbid freak I also I really like I liked Richard E. Grant uh, when he was when they found Felix and he's like darling 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 boy and like he's like we just need to get you warmed up yeah like, huh and he said he's like where's your jumper yeah it was really sad so like there are parts where you sympathize with the worst people on the planet Earth, but then you're just like, okay, well, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, really, honestly, the waiting and waiting and waiting for is, that data croak is wild. It is very wild. How much money do you think he gave him to make him leave? I don't know. I can't stop thinking about that because we were joking about it the first time we watched it. I like, how much would you even ask? I would totally lowball myself. Yeah, because I'd be afraid of asking too much and him being like, "Are you fucking ridiculous?" But my broke ass would be like five thousand dollars, and he'd be like, "That's all, okay." <laughs> well, the other thing, okay, yeah, but you're thinking about it a weird way because you would never be have to ask to leave. You would have dipped as soon as he was dead. Percent. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't have killed him to begin with. <laughs> exactly. But logistically, if you're given that opportunity, when you have someone who is like richer than fucking Midas, and they're like, name your price, how much would it cost to make you leave? What do you say? You know what I mean? Like, how much is he willing to, I guess you just yeah. have, you just have to haggle. Because I can't remember how much Bruce said, but Bruce was like a ridiculous amount. And it made me laugh yeah. because I was like, I would have asked for like a grant. <laughs> yeah. Which is nothing. For me, like my brain keeps taking on like $10,000. It's like $10,000. That seems right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, another, <laughs> I just had like a thought process where I was just thinking of like how rich they are and who they related to and how like they even make the joke that there's there's beds in Saltburn that have Henry VIII's DNA still on them, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, they're richer Mm -hmm. than we even fully can comprehend. Um, And one of the reasons why that's, it's kind of hard to comprehend is because of the styling choice where that's true to life, but they were like British elite people dress really casual, especially at the beginning of the millennium. Yeah. So there's like opulence there, and but it's not so in your face where you're just like, oh, these people are rich, rich, because mm-hmm. they're hanging out in jeans and sweaters. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, but I love when Ollie, Ollie first gets to Saltburn and Felix is giving him the tour and he's like pointing at the paintings and he's like, dead rallies, dead rallies. <laughs> like short for dead mm-hmm. rallies. Dead rallies, dead rallies. I just thought it was funny. Felix is cute. He's tall. He is. He's tall. No, but he no, he is cute and he has the ability to have been better if yeah. he'd only been given the chance to grow up. Yeah. Yep. Because like, he was there, like, obviously. Like, he recognized that his mom asked rude questions. He recognized that his family was off, but he didn't realize that he was, too. Another great moment, too, is he you can tell that he's now being more introspective on his stance on things because he repeats something that Farley says. When because mm-hmm. he doesn't realize that Ollie heard all that, but like Farley specifically says, it's messed up that I have to bring the begging bowl to you, and then they yeah. have an argument. But later, he Felix points out he's like he shouldn't have to bring the begging bowl to us. Like he's learning, you know what I mean? He's in the process of becoming a better person, but he just doesn't get the chance. Yeah, Ugh. because because he was plotted on and preyed upon. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. This movie's good. <laughs> and you've come around now. I've come around. It's good. It's really good. Damn it. <laughs> I wanted to be neutral. I wanted to be Switzerland, but I can't. It's good. Fun. Because, well, you know what's fun about it? Mm. We can talk about it and we can have that discussion. There are yeah. some films that lack that that ability you know you lack that like component where you can go and be introspective about it and like you can be you debate on it and you can talk it through and that's what I really like about this movie I think it, that it, it sticks with you like you said like you couldn't stop thinking about it couldn't stop thinking remember we were at, we were at brunch afterwards and I was like can't stop thinking about Saltburn right totally um and I'm pretty sure it got snubbed it did Mom, we were watching it. Mom was just like, this is the movie that got a bunch of awards. I was like, no, Mom, I didn't get nominated for anything. She's like, oh, I thought that's why it was on everyone's radar. And because it got a bunch of awards. I was like, nope, complete opposite. It didn't get shit. Yeah. It's wild. And I think, okay, so I was, um, I was listening to a podcast and, um, Diablo Cody was talking about Saltburn. Um, and she said, I would rather have a movie like, I would rather have one of my movies be like Saltburn and have that viral word of mouth moment than get any award. She was like, if people are talking about it and watching it and they're like referencing it on Saturday Night Live, I would much rather have that than an Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, that like that's what she said. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Lisa Cody a lot. I think she has a good point. Um, yeah. Oh my god, I'm really excited about Lisa Frankenstein. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. It looks really good. It has people in it. Really- she said that she was like she was. They talked about it a little bit on the podcast I was to do, and she was like, I started writing it during the pandemic. Didn't ever think we'd be here talking about the finished product, but here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep your eye out. That'll probably be a future episode. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. 
Well, mostly because your friends are A, English teachers, and B, big fans of Mary Shelley. <laughs> and I'm creepy. Not and I, that you're, yeah, the, not that you're not, but like. No, you're right. We we are who we are. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Well, we've been talking about this movie for an hour, so we probably could go on for a lot longer. We should probably put a cap. Um, uh, you didn't talk about the end. You got to talk about that real quick. Oh, yes. That What a great movie. The film ends with Oliver having got soul. He's now the heir of Saltburn, right? He owns Saltburn. Everyone's dead except for Farley and except for Duncan, um, who is the creepy butler. Yeah. So he, which I love because it plants the seed of like, oh, he won, but there's also on the back burner in the big scheme of things, maybe he doesn't. Yeah. Ambiguity, you know, Farley can come out of, from from the woodwork. So could you know Duncan could call him out on his shit, mm-hmm. but short term he has one quote unquote one right, mm-hmm. and we get this amazing sequence of Barry Keegan, bare ass naked, Willie flopping, dancing to Murder on the Dance Floor throughout Saltburn. It's just a he goes through the entire estate just dancing naked. Mm-hmm. And that song is a bop and his because of this movie it came out you know it's period accurate it came out yes of you know 2006 or something and now has got back on the charts and has been added to my list i listen to it all the time (laughs) uh uh-huh it's definitely on my on repeat playlist it's also on a playlist that i created for myself hillary you're gonna appreciate this um i'm reading the crucible with my juniors right now Mm. and um there's something that uh abigail williams says to john proctor uh she says a wild thing may say wild things i love that and is that's that the title yes of course it is that's beautiful murder on the dance floor murder on the dance floor is the first song followed up by rhinestone cowboy by Glenn gamble <laughs> i love that you want to feel like a main character you listen to rhinestone cowboy in the dark on your way to work tell you what <laughs> that's that's a main character song right there that's true that's amazing Mm -hmm. i want you to take a screen because i don't use spotify so i can't like actually have the playlist but i want you to take a screenshot of that full playlist and send it to me i want to see it oh yeah it's a terrible playlist but i will send it to you you uh, julie you underestimate yourself you have impeccable taste when it comes to music oh well this is like a i haven't listened to these songs in a long time this is what i want to hear that's so, great. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. Love that. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining us and listening to us ramble about Saltburn. I hope this, you know, erratic structure is cool with y'all because we're going to, like I said at the beginning, go more this route in the future. Um, we're also going to be playing with other different structures for possibly a second podcast. I know I've been teasing that for months now, but we'll see when we get there. Um, but I appreciate everyone that stuck around and comes back for every episode. You're, you know, we're few but mighty. Um, thank you to Julie for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yes. And until next time, we are the Weirdos, Mister. Thank you.